Mark chapter number 11. And I know it's 10 o'clock Sunday school hour, but the preacher said this is Jubilee Sunday, so kind of get woke up, shake yourself, and let's go to meeting. It's already been good. Praise the Lord for the good singing. And I don't know how we're doing things. I don't know if we're taking a break. I don't know if you'll get to go to the bathroom or smoke your cigarette in between. I'm not sure. <clears throat> so. that, that come from them 10 years I lived in North Carolina. That's all it is. <laughs> I say that at Brother Chris Simpson's church. They don't laugh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't tell Brother Chris I said that. Uh, Mark chapter number 11, and we'll begin reading in verse number 12. Mark 11, verse 12. And on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not Yet, I want to preach this morning on nothing but leaves. Amen. Now this, this text here that we're reading and this tree speaks primarily of Israel and particularly their, their lack of faith in who Jesus was and what he had done. But there's a word of warning here for every one of us here today. Yes. The Lord, just as he examined this tree, he examines all of our lives. I mean, he even judges us. What about that? Yes. Seems like the cry of our day is judge not. And there's a crowd out there. They don't know any other verses in the Bible, and they don't even know all of that verse. They don't know where it's at, but they know there's two words in the Bible that say judge not, and they're screaming that real loud. But one day, they are going to stand before God and they're not going to be saying judge not on that day. As our creator, he has every right to judge us and examine us, and he does. And when this happens, I wonder, does he see us bearing fruit for his glory? Or does he just see a tree that's full of leaves and nothing else? A song, no matter how doctrinally correct it may be, no matter how beautiful and well it may be sung, if it ain't got no touch of God on it, it's nothing but leaves. Appreciate Brother Sam getting up here and singing well. But more than that, I appreciate the touch of God on his life. That's what makes the difference. A sermon may be theologically correct. You may have a nice alliterated outline and, and well studied and nothing wrong with that. You may get real excited. You may get real animated and stirred up and wound up. And I mean, you may, you may be a great pulpiteer. But man, if there ain't no juice on it, y'all y'all know that in Georgia. Y'all know what I'm talking about. If there ain't no power of the Holy Ghost on it, it is nothing but leaves. Dare I say, even our standards and convictions. If all it is is an outward display where everything looks right and as it should, if there's no true inward holiness, it's nothing believes. I see in verse number 12 here the Lord's desire. The Bible said he was hungry. He's not on a fall foliage sightseeing tour. He's not looking for something to 
to satisfy his sight. He's looking for something to satisfy his stomach. He's hungry. By the way, what a thought. What a thought that the, the king of glory, amen, would condescend to this world and know what it is to hunger and thirst. Amen. I'm glad he'd do that for me and for you. He's hungry. You know what? You get hungry enough, you don't care what it looks like. You don't even care what the restaurant looks like. You just want to get a bite to eat. Hello? Man, these kids today, they're so picky. I mean, we've raised up a generation. Mom and mom will cook in the kitchen all day, but if it don't suit what Junior or Sally wants, I mean, she'll pop in a microwave pizza or a corn dog in there, and I mean, they'll completely overlook all this good food for that cheap stuff. They don't even know what good food is anymore. But I tell you what, you ever get good and hungry, you'll take what you can get. But I see the Lord's disappointment in verse number 13. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, I mean, it looked promising. He came, if haply he might find anything thereon, and when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. He didn't find what he was looking for. It may have been a beautiful tree, it may have looked real nice, but he was disappointed because it didn't have exactly what he wanted. That's right. When you're hungry, you don't care what the leaves look like. You just want something to satisfy your longing. I tell you what, I'm just a country boy, grew up in Arkansas. I don't know much about the finer things of life. But there's been at least two occasions in my lifetime that I went to what you'd call a fancy high-class restaurant. And if you've ever been to one, you know how it is. You go in, all the, all the workers are in tuxedos and bow ties and the, the lighting is dim and soft and there's candles lit on all the tables. I mean, there's a four-string orchestra over there playing nice, soft, pretty music. And you order your food and they bring you the food and ain't much to it. Yeah. I mean, it looks really neat. Yeah. Yeah. And Brother Gravely, it might even taste really good, but it's never enough. And the crazy thing is when they bring you the receipt, when you bring, they bring the bill, it's about three times more than you'd pay down there at Golden Corral or Longhorn. And, and, and both times I walked out of those places, I'm pretty sure I heard my stomach say, is that it? Are you mad at me? But you know, there's been many a time I got out of a camp meeting late at night, 10, 11 o'clock, and there wasn't nothing open but the Waffle House. And by the time you got there, I mean, a bunch of the bulbs were already out and it was just kind of flickering. It was actually saying, awful house. And uh, you, you go in there and I mean, you know, the lighting ain't good. That's probably a good thing. <laughs> there ain't no string orchestra. It's a jukebox playing George Jones. He stopped loving her today. And you have to go over there and wipe some, wipe some syrup and some stuffed grease off your seat so you can sit down without getting your clothes messy. Here comes the waitress. She's missing about half her teeth. And she says, what can I get you, honey? <laughs> a cockroach crawled across my foot one time. And the boy's like, Dad, it's a cockroach. I'm like, even they know where the good stuff's at. <laughs> But I mean, you know, they bring on them steak and them scrambled eggs with cheese and that good toast with, you know, Smucker's jam. You put that on there. You know what? By the time I walked out of there, it might not have been fancy. You might have had to overlook some things to really enjoy it. But when I did, my stomach said, thank you, sir. <laughs> I'm just saying the Lord was disappointed 
with what he found. I wonder how many people come into our churches on a weekly basis and we've got the truth. We've got the right doctrine. We've got the right version of the Bible. We've got the right standards and convictions. And we're still singing the hymns and we're doing it all just right but there's no power of the Holy Ghost and people go out just as empty, just, I mean, just as sad as shape as when they came in because too often it is nothing but leave. Thank God for the good testimony a while ago. Man, that's refreshing because I couldn't tell you how many times we go to churches, we're in a different church every week. And so many testimonies, they're not testimonies anymore. It's just about how bad and how hard it is. But, you know, I reckon God's going to get me through it. Well, you got a lot of faith. It's, it's all about who's got, the, who's got the biggest sob story. Really, all it is is drawing attention to yourself and not Him. It's refreshing to hear somebody just brag on the Lord, talk about how good he's been. That's what will help somebody that comes in that's looking for something they don't have. They'll go out saying, I need that. Amen. So we know what the Lord's not looking for. But here in our text, he gives us three things I want us to look at real quickly this morning that he is looking for in our lives. Number one, he's looking for suitable fruit. And we, we may be like this tree. We may have all the appearances of life. But is there any fruit? Now the leaves indicate that the tree professes to have fruit. I won't have you turn there for time's sake, but back in Genesis chapter 3, in verse number 7, you find the first time figs are mentioned in the Word of God. Adam and Eve sinned back there in the garden. You know what they did? They used fig leaves to make an apron cover up their nakedness. And that right there, right there in the first book of the Bible, it establishes the fig tree as a picture of self-righteousness. They recognized we got a problem. But they said, we'll fix it ourselves. But when there's sin, brother and sister, there's got to be blood. But they said, we'll take care of this problem ourselves. And that's exactly what self-righteousness is. It's recognizing I've got a problem, I've got sin, but instead of repenting and turning to the Lord, I'll try to fix it myself. But it'll never work. It'll never work. There must be repentance. There's a lot of profession in our day with very little possession. And that's what this tree is a picture of. The display of the tree, it looked real good. It looked real promising. Now, can I just say this morning, I know who I'm preaching to. I'm preaching to independent King James Bible-believing fundamental Baptist. That's my crowd. But this is the problem we have. Paul said it over there in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. The average Southern Baptist church in this day and hour, they don't even have the form of godliness. I didn't say all of them, but most of them. Your Methodist churches and your Presbyterian churches, your non-denominational mega churches, they don't even have a form of godliness anymore. As independent Baptists, we're real good at having the form. But I'm not sure how much power there is. I'm not sure how much fruit there is to back up how it looks. We look real good, don't we? Especially on Sunday morning. We know how to put on the dog real good. I 
see the desolation of the tree. Verse number 13 says, when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. I'm afraid today many professing Christians, they're like this tree, they're like Adam and Eve was in the garden. They've got an they apron of fig leaves, but absolutely no fruit. Back it up. We see it in the priorities of people today. There, there was a time when God's people, uh, the Bible and church, were a priority. I mean, people would come to church and they would talk about what God had been showing them in the Word of God throughout the week because they had been in their Bible. Nowadays, we get together and we talk about everything we've been reading on Facebook and Twitter. We ain't spending as much time in God's Word. There was a day and time when people's attitude was, well, if there ain't nothing going on at the church, we'll be there. Now it's, well, if there ain't nothing else going on, we'll try to be there at church. Church used to be a priority for God's people. Now we can take it or leave it. We, 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 we took a few days this past week. We went to Branson, Missouri and went to Silver Dollar City and we go to ride the rides and do all that stuff. But they had some Southern Gospel groups in the park and we sat through one of them, me and my wife. And, and it was just entertainment. That's all it was. And I knew when I went in there, that's what it would be. And good singing and all that. But I mean, the place was packed out. We was all sitting close together and it was mostly older folks. And it was, it was a fun 30 minutes, Brother Gravely. But I told my wife, I said, I wonder how many of these people haven't been to church since COVID started. But they'll cram into this theater to get their southern gospel fix. Because priorities are wrong. Amen. I, I mean, we, we come to church and even that crowd that will come to church during the sports season, their mind ain't on church. It's not on worship. It ain't on preaching. Because even though they're there, they're thinking the whole time, I wish he would hurry up. I'm going to miss the kickoff. Because we are so eat up with sports. And I'm not against sports. But I am against somebody that says they're saved and that they love Jesus, but they put the ball game more than they do over the church and what God's trying to do down at the church house. Amen. We've got our priorities all out of whack because we are desolate. We see it in the praise in our Baptist churches. This isn't a big problem here. I'm probably preaching to the choir. Some of the best worship and praise services I've been in have been at Bible Baptist Church, not just during Jubilee, but just, I mean, in regular services coming by. Man, even just what we got to enjoy a few minutes ago, that was a blessing. But I'd be naive to think that everybody here this morning in your heart was rejoicing and worshiping the Lord. Amen. I tell you what, the shouts of God's people are growing cold. Edmund, the, the young people are getting cold and dead. I mean, you young men, get you a shout about you. Don't you be afraid to shout for the glory of God. He's been just as good to you as he has been your mama and your daddy and your preacher. Amen. Don't you be afraid to amen the preacher. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Don't you be ashamed to do that. You young lady, you, you find you a young man that ain't afraid to shout for Jesus. Amen. Somebody that loves Jesus more than he loves the ball. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm growing weary of traveling the country and going to churches and, and nobody says amen. Instead, if, I mean, yeah. I, I'll, I'll, get I'll get excited in preaching and, and they go to applauding because they just don't even know. Right. And I don't want to be hard on them. Some of them just honestly, Brother Gravity, they don't know, but I'm thinking, my soul. Yeah. Man, when I was growing up when the preacher preached, man, we said amen. Amen, amen preacher, let her rip, preacher. Come on, preacher. Yeah. Man, we need to 
to get back to that? Don't you leave out of here saying, man, the preacher wasn't plugged in today. He just didn't have it today when all you did was sit there like a lump on a log, amen. Didn't help him one bit, didn't pray for him, amen. I say nothing but leave. We need to get back to praising our good God for how wonderful he is, the mighty things that he has done. I say he deserves praise and he desires praise, hallelujah. Man, we're in a day where we're so worried about our makeup. You ladies, you, you're afraid if you get too stirred up, you're going to cry. It's going to mess your makeup up. I'm not, I ain't preaching against makeup. Don't get nervous. Amen. But man, I tell you what, I like to go out of a church service when the women are coming out the door and it's just streaking down their face where they've just been crying because they've been rejoicing in the Lord. I like it. Man, we're just getting too full of ourselves. It was desolate. Well, he, he has... He has a discussion with the tree. Look at verse 14. And Jesus answered and said unto it. Did you ever wonder what the tree said? <laughs> it did say he answered and said unto it. And some of y'all are looking at me like, now Brother Daniel, we always thought you was a little crazy. Now we know it. You really think Jesus talked with a tree? Why wouldn't he? He created it. Why wouldn't he have a conversation with his creation? I mean, he talks to you and me. Well, I just don't know about all that. You just got little faith. That's all you got. <laughs> Jesus answered and said unto it. Watch what he said. No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. I want you to notice the death of the tree. Look at verse number 20. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter calling to remembrance saith unto him, Master, behold the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. See, brother and sister, barrenness leads to destruction. This, this tree could not exist without the blessing of its creator. And we will not exist spiritually either without His blessing, without His hand upon our lives. It's just not going to happen. We got to have Him. We got to have His blessing. The, the Dead Sea, y'all know why the Dead Sea is dead? Because water flows in, but it has no outlet. And a church that has no evangelism, it, it don't matter how smart they are. It don't matter how much Bible they know. If nothing's going out, church will die. See, that's one of the big problems with Calvinism. Brother Gravely, I have no problem believing that some of those men that believe that way of thinking really do love the Lord and are sincere. And some of them are intelligent men. I have no problem believing that. But the problem is they're soaking things in from the Word. Some of them are more dedicated to study than independent Baptists are. But they're soaking stuff in, but because of what they believe, nothing's going out. You may really love the Lord and believe that, and you may even have a close walk with God to the place that if you're a preacher, He might even use you and empower you to preach the Word of God, but it'll kill the local church every time. I asked an older preacher friend one time, I said, why, why does it seem like a lot of the good books that are loaded with meat Written by Calvinists, he thought for a second. He said, he ain't got nothing else to do. 
<laughs> oh, William Gurnall took him 30 years to write the Christian in complete armor. It's a good read, good book. He didn't have nothing else to do because he wasn't out evangelizing. <laughs> It'll kill a church. You, you let that stuff creep into Bible Baptist Church, this church will be dead within five years, if not sooner. He's looking for suitable fruit. I get, let me give you these other two things quickly. He's also looking for supernatural faith. Look at verse number 22. They've just seen the result of this tree. Jesus cursed it. It's withered away. Jesus said in verse 22, Jesus answered and saith unto them, Have faith in God. You remember in its context, in its doctrinal context, he's dealing, this, this tree is a picture of Israel and their lack of faith in the Lord. And so he tells his disciples, have faith in God. Now back in verse number 13, at the end of the verse, it said, for the time of figs was not yet. Seems to me he's kind of being hard on this tree. It wasn't even time for it to have figs. But the idea is, he again is the creator. And as the creator, he can expect whatever he wants from this tree. Even if it don't make sense. You realize a lot of the things that God will tell us to do, it's not going to make sense by the world's standards. It, the, the, us being here at 10 o'clock in the morning and at 11 o'clock and then back at 6 o'clock and then whenever your midweek service is and then Jubilee, I mean, I'm not even sure. I could, all the years I've been coming to Jubilee, I'm still not sure I make sense out of the afternoon services. <laughs> now, I'm kidding. First time Brother Gravely asked me if I'd come, I said, I'll come, but I don't do afternoon services. I'm taking a nap. He said, that's fine. I'll give you an offering anyway. I said, okay. You know what I did that first afternoon? I went to the hotel. I laid down. My wife and kids stayed. I got up after laying down for a little bit, and I pulled up the live stream just to see if it was time to eat supper. Man, y'all were shouting her out and having a big time, like 150 people getting saved. And I'm like, I'm not missing any more of these afternoon services. This is good stuff. But the word, that makes no sense to the world. God calling a man that's got a job, I mean making $100,000 a year, and God calls him to the mission field and he leaves that, sells everything to live by faith. That makes no sense to the world. It don't even make sense to the average Christian. But I'm telling you, God's trying to get us to quit thinking in the realm of the normal and the natural and realize he is an all-powerful, almighty God, and he wants us to trust him even if it don't make sense. Amen. I've seen seen enough of what the normal can do. I've seen enough services that we just went through the motions and we operated in the natural. God give us a breath from heaven and a move of the Holy Ghost once again. I say he's still able. He can still move. He can still save and he can still send revival in this day and hour. I know America's away from God. I know our churches are backslidden but you hear me? If we'll just repent and look to him, there's no telling what he would do if we just had faith and trust him. Hallelujah. I see the power of faith. Look at verse 23. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass he shall have whatsoever he saith. I'm telling you brother and sister we'll just have faith in his power, not our ability, not our talent, not our know-how, 
But if we'll just have faith in Him, oh, we'd see the power of God once again. I'm afraid in this day and hour we have learned how to have church without God. And I'm talking about us. Independent Baptist. We've done it for so long. Even in our old-timey camp-meeting churches, we know what strings to pull. Boy, if we're not careful, we'll quit looking to Him. We'll quit calling on Him. And we'll just say, well, this song will work. That message will work. That preacher will work. And it'll be nothing but leaves before long. Boy, we need the power of God. Singing's getting dead and cold in our churches. Preaching is watered down and weak. The Bible college movement hasn't helped one bit. And I'm not against Bible college. I know y'all got a Bible college here. I feel like I was blessed to go to a good Bible college. But I mean, you go, I mean, I'm, I'm so weary of seeing young men go, to, go off to a big Bible college. And they go on fire for God, believe in the book. And then they sit under some smart aleck professor for three or four years that tell them, that tell them well, now we're King James only. Really, we're King James preferred because, it, you know, it's a good version probably the most reliable version. But there's mistakes and there's contradictions. There ain't no mistakes and contradictions in the Bible. If you'll just have faith and study to show thyself approved unto God, you'll dig in there and you'll find out that there really are no contradictions in that King James Bible. And they're destroying young men's faith in the book. And then they put their fire out. If they had any zeal or fire when they went in, they'd throw a wet blanket on that. They put no emphasis. As a matter of fact, they even make fun of the idea of the spirit-filled life. And so they come out three or four years later, no faith in the book, no fire, amen. They don't, they don't realize how much they need the power of God and the fullness of the spirit. And then we wonder why our pulpits are so dead and cold. Amen. I'm telling you, we need the power of the Holy Ghost once again. Amen. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 said, Our gospel came unto you not in word only, but in power of the Holy Spirit. We got a lot of word only preaching in a lot of our independent Baptist church. It's, it is doctrinally sound and correct, but there is no power of God on it. And it's His touch that makes the difference. We need it once again. I see the possibilities of supernatural faith. Verse 25 said, When you stand praying, forgive. I'm sorry. Verse 24, Therefore I say unto you, Whatsoever things, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. There's great possibilities when we just trust Him and have faith in Him and what He can do. Well, imagine what kind of church services we could have. We can just get out of the way. Now, the average independent Baptist pastor is not going to get out of the way. Appreciate Brother Gravely. Y'all are blessed. He's a great preacher, but I I enjoy watching him moderate services because he knows when to just step back and just see what God wants to do. Not a lot of preachers that way. Matter of fact, if God does show up, if anything, they want to step in and get the glory for it. Hmm. But the possibilities. He, he said, you, you shall ha- you'll receive them. You shall have them. Now, obviously, that's understanding that as long as our desires line up with his will, we're not talking about a name it and claim it doctrine here. 
I heard a preacher just a couple weeks ago. It's actually Brother Chris Simpson's preacher made this statement. He said, I'll tell you how to have, I've learned how to have everything I want. And I thought, well, I need to pay attention to this. I need to get my pen out taking notes. He said, just want what God wants. You'll have everything you'll ever want. That's pretty good, ain't it? I wish I'd have said it. There's a lot of truth in that, the possibilities. But there's a third thing here, and I'll give it to you quickly. He's looking for sincere forgiveness. Notice in verse 25, we see the practice of forgiveness. He said, when you stand praying, forgive. If you have aught against any. Now the Lord has told us that faith is essential uh, to the success of prayers, but then he adds that no prayers can be heard from an unforgiving heart. Now, I will say this. There, there is a missing element that we overlook when it comes to this thing of forgiveness. You jot it down in Luke chapter 17. The Lord's telling us how to deal with trespasses and offenses. And if you're the one who has been trespassed against, how you are to deal with that. The Bible tells us, first of all, if somebody's trespassed against you, you rebuke them. In other words, you just make sure that they know they're aware of what they've done. Because it is possible for somebody to say something to you or do something to you that has offended you, and they didn't even mean it that way. Right. Now, they were still wrong, and so they need to be held accountable. So you go to them and rebuke them. You don't, don't go out in the parking lot and cuss them out or have a fist fight. Don't do that. But just in, in a Christian way, you let them know, here's what you said, here's what you did, and, and here's how I have taken this, and you need to be aware of this. If not, you'll spend 20 years wondering, that they're wondering, why is this person mad at me? Why ain't they shaking my hand in the last few weeks? Right. See, you go to them, you rebuke them. And then it says this, if he repent, forgive him. That's right. Now we skip right over that, if he repent part. Right. And I couldn't tell you how many times I've heard preachers preaching messages on forgiveness. By the way, great messages. But then they'll go as far to say this, and it don't matter whether they say they're sorry or if they, if they show any sorrow for what they've done. You just forgive them anyway. Well, that's not what Jesus said there. Amen. He said, if he repent, forgive him. I got your attention now, don't I? Some of you are looking at me like, mm, this is messing up a lot of preaching I've heard. Some of you preachers, you're like, it's messing up a lot of preaching I've done. <laughs> to, to forgive where there's no repentance only encourages more sin. You want biblical proof for that? David and Absalom. You don't find one place in the story of Absalom where he ever repented or showed any sorrow for his sin. Yet David still accepted him back into the kingdom. And how'd that work out? Absalom stirred up the army against David. David, next thing you know, he's hiding out in caves, fleeing for his life from his own son, and when it's all said and done, Absalom's dead hanging from a tree by his hair and David's weeping over his boy. That right. didn't work out too good for David. And I've heard people, I've heard preachers, good men of God, but I've heard them preach that account completely the opposite. Jesus said, if he repent, forgive him. Now, now we ought to be like the Lord and have a forgiving spirit, a willingness and a readiness right. to forgive. Amen? 
But I, people will argue with me on that and they'll say things like, well, God's not like that. Well, let me ask you this. When did you get saved? Did you get saved when Jesus died and paid for your sins on Calvary? Or did you get saved when you came to Him through faith and repentance? That's right. What about this? Even after we're saved, First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to cleanse us and forgive us of all unrighteousness. If, if we repent. Well, preacher, I just, I, I just don't know because I, my, my, my great-granddaddy always said, well, I'm more interested in what Jesus said in the Bible. Amen. But my favorite preacher said, I'm more interested in what Jesus said than what your favorite preacher said. Amen. If he repent, I mean, this isn't, a, this isn't a gray area. It's black and white. It's right there in your King James Bible. If he repent, forgive him. Yes. Now, if he repent, forgive him. Here's where we get in trouble. When somebody is full of sorrow and they're trying to get right with us, we ain't going to let them. And so when you come to a text like Mark chapter number 11, when he's talking about forgiving somebody, you've got to keep in mind that Luke chapter 17. That's why we compare Scripture with Scripture. You can't take one verse and then leave out another verse that deals with the subject. So obviously when he says this, He's got in mind what's already been said in Luke 17. You're dealing with somebody who is repenting and trying to get right. And if he's trying to get right, we have an obligation and a command to forgive him. Now the reason I I say that about Luke 17 too, I I couldn't tell you how many people have sat in, in in a counseling session, whether it be with a therapist or a preacher, and the first thing they said, you know, I mean, here, here's somebody that maybe was molested as a child or a woman that has been raped. Somebody that has, has had a, a, a child been murdered. And the first thing they tell them in that counseling session, now the first thing you got to do, you got to forgive them so you can move on. And they're thinking that person's never shown any sorrow. That's right. And you're telling me that I can't move on until I forgive them? even though they've shown not one bit of sorrow for what they did. That's where people get bitter. Because they got some bad information that didn't come from the Bible. And I tell you why this is so hard for us to wrap our mind around. It's clear in the Word of God. But a lot of us have actually given that counsel at some point, And we meant well. But that's not what Jesus said. And so somebody will hear that and they'll say, that's like a load lifted off my shoulders. I can finally move on. Now, if he repent, it don't matter how bad the offense was, forgive. Because he's faithful to forgive us no matter how bad the offense. If we'll just repent and come to Jesus and and just trust him and get right, man, he's always willing to forgive us. And I tell you what, I will agree with preachers that have made this statement. There'll be no revival when there is a spirit of unforgiveness. Somebody's trying to get right with you, they're apologizing, they're repenting, you forgive them. Amen. Or you're not going to have the blessings of God on your life. If you have no repentance in your life, or, or no, no forgiveness in your life and in your heart, it's nothing but leaves. Matter of fact, he, he tells us the purpose of forgiveness. He said there in verse number 25, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses, but if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. We have no right to expect mercy from God if we're not willing to extend mercy. Amen? 
And if you're honest this morning, we've received a whole lot of mercy. But preacher, you don't know what they did. You don't know how awful it is. I'm just saying if they're repenting, you just go ahead and forgive them. Have faith that God can make the situation what it ought to be and you'll go out and do something for God and you'll have more fruit for him when you stand before him at the judgment seat one day. Or you can just hang on to it and you'll be the one that's bitter because you won't forgive when they're trying to get right with you. Nothing but leave. Here in a few weeks, these leaves are going to start changing. You know what people will do? They'll load up and head to the mountains. And ooh and ah. Yeah. Oh, look at that one. Get a picture of that one. We'll post that one on, on Instagram. That's a nice one. But you know, come about November, when they're all dead and on the ground, you know what we do at our house? We get out there and we rake them up. We pile them up. And then I burn them up. What, um, what, what a month ago was so beautiful to look at, now has become a problem. Yeah. If you're here this morning in your life, it's nothing but leaves. I, I'm afraid a lot of people are going to stand before God. I'm afraid they're going to stand before God at that white throne judgment. Yes, sir. And they're going to say, Lord, look at my beautiful leaves. Ain't they pretty? I mean, I was faithful to church. I sang in the choir. I taught Sunday school. I did this. I did that. He's going to say, depart from me, ye cursed in the everlasting fire. But Lord, my leaves. Yeah, but it's nothing but leaves. There might be somebody here today, you may be saved. But your standards, your convictions, your service for the Lord, it's all about you. It's not about Him. If that's the case, it's nothing but leaves. You know, it'd, it'd do us good this morning just to bring some leaves down to this altar and say, Lord, just take a match to them and burn them. I want to be pleasing to you.